Welcome to our Encore series, The Relationship Depot. Here's Pastor Jeremy Mahood with the tools you'll need to build strong, healthy, loving relationships. Today's message, Healing the Spirit of Divorce. The Relationship Depot, building relationships that last a lifetime. Hey, I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you so much. There's a million things you could be doing on Sunday morning, and uh, it's just an honor to have you here today, especially on this particular topic, uh, healing the spirit of divorce. And and right off the beginning, right off the top end, uh, regardless of of what you've been brought up in, what religious, what language, what what constructs uh, that are in your mind, I want to tell you this uh, just right off the bat that, that God loves you. Uh, While while God has things to say about divorce, the act of divorce, God never stops loving you. There's nothing you can do in this whole wide world that makes God stop loving you. That's why he died on a cross for you. He says, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. So regardless of where you come from today, what your background is, uh, whether you've been divorced, whether you've not been divorced, whether you've had multiple partners in relationship, uh, then uh, this, this message is for you from God today. I received all, all the last three weeks, I've received comments and, and private messages, and I want to share a prayer request that came in this week, that came into the prayer team, and it said, um, uh, today's sermon by Jeremy that was last week uh, was exactly what I needed to hear. I've been treating sex like a casual affair. Uh, it is culturally influenced, and I feel myself and my peers struggle with this. Please pray that I may have the strength to keep this covenant with God. And, you know, last week we talked about how sexual intercourse is a covenant with God. And you can, you can pick up those details uh, in last week's message or you can get it in my book that's available. Um, because the whole issue for us is, is going counterculture to what I, how I was raised, how I was trained. I mean, I, you know that I was, was taught by the church, you know, no sex outside marriage. But the church never, ever explained to me why. They never explained the basis of it. They never said, this is why you should do that. Here's the understanding you need to have. And that's what we've been trying to do through this series. I got an awesome slide I want to show you. We put it on our social media last week. And if you don't, uh, if you're not on All Nations Church, uh, uh, then get on Facebook with us. But, but here's the quote from 1 Corinthians 6 that really sums up what we're talking about. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical act. And that's what we've been missing. We've been missing the idea that there's something going on in the spirit realm when you and I engage in sexual activity. It's something that God built into how he created us. So sex is is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical act. And here's the overall idea. You know, when you you buy a truck, it's rated to pull so much weight. You know, and it's going to pull 2,000 pounds or 4,000 pounds or 5,000 pounds. If you take that truck and you start hauling, you know, 50,000 pounds, a number of things are going to happen. You know, first of all, the suspension's going to go, the transmission's going to go, you know, the tires are going to go flat, the hitch is probably going to come apart. Everything comes apart when you don't use the the instrument the way uh, the designer designed it to be. And this is what God wants to tell us about how we use our sexuality. We need to use our sexuality the way the designer designed it to be. When we don't use it the way he designed it, then all sorts of things happen. It's not that God is angry or God is mad, but he designed us to be a certain way. He created us to to function, and when we don't function according to the way that he created us, things break down. And one of the biggest things 
that breaks when we don't treat our sexual relationships the way God designed them to be treated is something breaks in the spirit world of us. And it happens inside our spirit and we go about and you know, we seek emotional healing and we go to counseling and we do all of these things but there's something broken deep within our spirit being. And the truth of the matter is only God can heal a broken spirit. I love counseling. I've been in counseling. I go to counseling. But God is the only one that can heal a damaged spirit. Now, where do we get this idea from? The platform comes from Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 6. So some of the Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. By the way, Pharisees are religious jerks. Okay? You know a religious jerk? They had a religious system that was all about rules, regulations, and guilt. Anybody know religious systems that are about rules, regulations, and guilt? Right? We know it. We're in the same place. So they're the jerks, okay? And they're always trying to mess with Jesus' mind. Okay? They're always trying to mess with his mind. They're always trying to set him up so that he gets caught, that he traps, that he makes a mistake because he claimed that he was, you know, God in the flesh. And they don't like that because it was messing with their well-oiled control system whereby they manipulated the masses. That's the Pharisees. So they ask him this kind of tricky question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And there's the tricky thing. And then Jesus replies, that's all right. Jesus replies this. Haven't you read... He's quoting the Old Testament now, the book of the law. They would have read that. That at the beginning, the creator made them. Who made them? The creator, right? The creator made them. What did he make them? Male and female. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. So it's going to take you back you know, to the opening message three weeks ago to remind you because I don't expect you to remember. Okay? It's all right. So, so originally God made this creature. and We called the creature Adam, but he was all alone, Right? And then God decided it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, so he took a rib out of his side and he made a thing called woman. Okay, so, and then the two of them were there, and when they came together, they were the image of God. Both male and female, when they come together, represent the divine image. So the creator made them male and female. Okay, let's go on, Heidi. And he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So for what reason? To represent the divine image of God on earth. That's what marriage is. It's a representation of the unity of God, the love of God, the divine image of God on earth is represented in the union of a man and woman. And he does that because he says the two will come together and the two will become what? Just go back, Heidi, to the last line. The two will become what? One flesh. Okay, I have no idea how that happens. I do not understand that. But this uniting that God does, this one flesh thing that God makes out of two of us is what gets terribly, terribly ripped apart when you and I go on to another sexual partner or go through a divorce and get another sexual partner. You can't... How do I say this without, and not, without making it R-rated? You, 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 you just can't do it without consequence. And you just can't do it in the spirit world without consequence. 
Something is happening because God's design, he created it, that this thing known as, as man and this thing known as woman, this thing known as male and this thing known as female would come together and in the act of, of making love together and having sexual union, they would become in the spirit world, what? One flesh. So when we take it apart, something happens to it. Jesus goes on, and I think he finishes the words with this in the next verse. Is there another verse? Yeah. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now notice he keeps saying one flesh, right? Because you're not one. I mean, you don't, you don't lose your mind and your intelligence and your ability to make decisions. It's not that you become one. Okay? I'm as much an individual today, 43 years, almost 43 years later, with my wife as I was on the day I met her. We're talking about something that's going on in the spirit world, and he makes them one flesh. Now, when he says one flesh, the problem with flesh is, like, have you ever torn a piece of flesh? Oh, my gosh. It's, and, and that's why he uses the image. They come together like that, and then he makes this incredible statement. Therefore, what, who? God has joined together, let no one separate. Okay, so here's the challenge. The act of making love is an act of spiritual sacrifice before God. That's what it is. And it's God who joins two people together. I'm not taught that in the culture, I can tell you that. It's not anything you're gonna hear, you know, in in, in normal society, but it's what God's intention was, that we would come together and we would become one flesh. And now the image of God is complete. And when we have multiple partners or we go through a divorce and we have another partner, what happens is we rip and we tear at the image of God. Because God's intention was that this bonding would be a lifelong bond only separated uh, by death. So what happens to us in society is, is we go from partner to partner to partner to partner to partner. And the amazing statistic is, and I talk about this in my book, The Relationship People, I mean, 50% of, of all marriages end in divorce. Pretty well, 50%. But here's the, here's the statistic that always gets me. Okay? 75% of second marriages end in divorce. And it gets worse if you go to a third one. And I go, wait a minute. Didn't you figure it out after the first time? Like if you did it the first time and you messed it up and you went through all of that pain and all of that heartache and all of that frustration and all of that, and all of that disappointment, don't you think that if you did it again, you'd get it right and yet the odds are way, way stacked against you? And the reason that is, is because you go into the relationship with a spiritual defect because of the breaking of the bond of the first relationship. Now the good news is you can heal that. That's what this this message is about today. Good news is that that can be healed, but but we don't realize that. So instead of of two whole people now, you know, coming together uh, to bond in another relationship, we have two damaged people and they try to bond. You know what happens if you cut a scar more than once. Right? You, 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 you cut something, and then if you rip it in the same place, and you rip it in the same place, eventually what happens is you get this great big hardened scar, and nothing goes back together nicely at all. And this is what we're doing as a society. We're going from partner to partner to partner to partner, and we're wondering, why does this not work? Oh my God, I thought she was so great. She was just the hottest thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, she turns out to be really a, a loose screw. 
you know? And, and here's this guy. Here's this guy. You know, he comes on and he's so beautiful. He's so wonderful. He's so tender. And I marry him. He turns out to be a jerk. You know, he's abusive. He's this, he's that, he's the other. And, we, and, and, and yet we go, we go and we say, okay, well, that didn't work. Let me just try it again. That didn't work. Well, I'll try it again. And to quote my most unfavorite psychologist, um, Dr. Phil, <clears throat> how's that working for you? But we do it again, right? We do it again, and we do it again. And our loneliness drives us, and we do it again. And we keep thinking, we keep thinking that the next one will be it. And yet it's not the next one that's gonna make the difference, it's, it's who you are, how you're healed. How well are you before you get into these relationships? So we have a society that just jumps from bed to bed to bed. I mean. I, I find it amazing. I meet people all the time who've broken up. You know, three weeks later, they've got a new partner. And I'm going, you know, that's like having abdominal surgery and vacuuming the next day, right? Anybody who's had that understands that, right? I mean, it takes time to heal, right? It takes time to heal from this thing, right? It's like having a broken arm and then just saying, oh, well, forget that. I'll take the cast off. I'm going to go play tennis. Everything has a natural healing cycle, including your emotions, and your spirit being. There needs to be a time of healing. Everybody's going to ask me, how long? My question is longer than you think. I don't know how long, okay? But I know when I feel whole and well as a person. So what is really going on with this ripping of one flesh? Really what's happening is, you leave a fragment of yourself in the spirit world. You leave a fragment. And, and here's a really scary, scary, scary thing. You leave a fragment of yourself with every partner you've ever been with. It, it's, it's just, like when, when you think about it, because if I can't get a clean break here and take all of me with me, I'm, I'm leaving bits and pieces along the way. And, and if, you t- if you were to take a moment and, and just think about society, and you think about how challenging relationships are, and how many people you know that have been from relationship to relationship, or partner to partner, or divorce to divorce, and you look at it, and, and what's going on really is there's a brokenness inside of us. And we are trying to get that fixed by hooking up with another partner. And it doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. I mean, the odd time, you luck out. So I don't want to give you an excuse, say, well, I'm going to be the one that lucks out. No, odd time, odd time it works out. But usually it works out because two people, excuse me, have been really dealing with their stuff. So there are promises made um, when we have relationships. And, and I'm going to really simplify this. Just, it just comes out of the, of the book of Genesis. But it's really, really simple. Um, ladies, when you make love, God's intention for that would be that you make it inside the safety of a man who loves you and cherishes you. And I don't mean emotional love, because that is as cheap as it comes. 
I mean the kind of love that's demonstrated in the Bible, sacrificial love, giving love, that I would give my life for you. And and inside of that safety, you were meant to give yourself physically, wholly and completely in the act of physical union. That's what God's intention was. Uh, Guys, the intention for you when, when you make love was that Uh, a woman would then come and do what God created Adam to do, to become that one who walks alongside you, you know, who stands beside you through thick and thin, the one who comes along and lifts you up, the one who who is is called a a helper, and I don't mean someone who makes dinner, but one who helps you emotionally, one who helps you emotionally. And those are the promises that, that, that are being made when we make love, except, except we make love and, and we, don't, we don't have those promises. They're not there because, because we're hooking up in such a shallow level. We don't really know this person at all. We have no idea who they really are. You hang out with them for, I don't know, one month, three months, six months, a year. You have no idea who they are. And we always know that, that guys will tell you that they love you, they love you, they love you, because they know that women want to hear that, except that's not really what we're talking about when we say, I love you, I love you, I love you. What we need is love demonstrated. And you can't demonstrate love in a month. You probably can't even demonstrate love in six months. It takes a long time under lots of circumstances to find out whether somebody is really going to give their life uh, for you. So those promises have all been broken. I, uh, I, I asked my friend Garth to make me an illustration. I'm going to try to do it. You know, they say never work with donkeys and children. Never work with an illustration that you've never done before that you can't pull off. But I have here two boards, and they represent a life, a female life and a male life, and, and they're glued together. So they've, they've come together as a unit in sexual behavior. And, and what happens is, is we break this apart. This could be dangerous. Are you ready for this? Everybody pray for me, will you? <laughs> just, just pray for me that I can, I can do this. And, and I got these two wonderful boards. Oh, this worked great, everything. Now, I want you to look at those boards. Can you see them? You see them? They're fragmented, right? They're ripped, they're broken. This is what happens to you when, when you break the pair bond. You make love, you move on, you don't keep any of the promises, you have no idea of making commitment. Here it is, you're fractured. So now what happens? So now you come and you meet somebody else. Oh, look at there, across a crowded room, I see a stranger, oh my God, I'm in love. Right? You put that back together, I wish we could do it double time, Garth, but you know, you put it back together, you break it again, what do you think happens? More splintering, more splintering, you just keep doing this. You do it three or four or five times. You, you, you know, you, maybe you got a past like, like Eileen and I had, you know, when we grew up in the, in the age of, of sexual freedom. And I mean, our, our lives were both absolutely fragmented in, into as many possible pieces as could be. And this is what goes on in your spirit, in the spirit world, because you were meant to be together. You were meant to be one. You were meant to be bonded together. And when we fail to do that, we are fracturing, ripping, and tearing. One of the things is that your spirit doesn't care whose fault it was. So your spirit really doesn't care that, you know, if if your partner was the jerk or you were the jerk. 
your spirit doesn't care about it. Your spirit only knows that there was something that happened. There was a promise made about making love in the spirit world. There's a, a spiritual promise made. There were some hopes and some dreams. And, and now that's broken. And now that's fractured. So what I love about, what I love about Jesus is that he always makes a way for us to be well. Always makes a way. But, but if you're going to be well, you must take charge of this in your spirit. You must decide. It doesn't matter who is at fault. I, you know, I tell a story in my book about a, a lady who waited you know, uh, to get married a second time and, 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 and thought she did the right thing and turned out after you know, two weeks or three weeks of marriage that she had really married a second abuser for the second time. So why do people do that? Because the same deficit that created the issue the first time is still there. And so basically what we do is we, we seek out people un, unknown to us that fit the pattern that, that we think that we deserve. And, and so you know, if you married an abuser once, there's a really good chance you're going to marry another abuser. And, and so what happens to us is if, if we don't take charge of this and we just say, okay, I got to stop all of this. Okay, first of all, he's gotta, I got to stop. Okay, I got to stop looking. I got to stop seeking. I got to stop, you know, hoping. I've just got to stop this thing about relationships. And my, my journey for the next while is to become well and whole and complete. So that when I meet someone, immediately the wholeness in me, the Christ in me, will give me the understanding of whether that person is the right person for me or not. But when you're not whole and you're not well, then you think through that fracturedness and and you listen to stories and you believe them that you shouldn't believe. You see signs, you ignore them because you think you're in love. Because most people are in love with love. They're not in love with a person. They're in love with the concept of love. And so then we, we the word I'm trying to look for is, is we, uh, we sabotage ourselves. We lower our standard because we've just got to have someone. So I can tell you this. Um, waking up in bed alone is better than waking up in bed with the wrong person. You, you might want to write that on a sticky note and, and stick it somewhere where you can see it. Okay, because, you know, waking up in bed alone is better than waking up in bed with the wrong person. But how many times have we compromised? I mean, how many times have I compromised in my life? Because I don't want to wake up in bed alone. Remember the old song, Help Me Make It Through the Night? Anybody remember that old country song? I don't care what's right or wrong. You know, just help me make it through the night. How many of us have lived our lives like that? I just don't want to be alone tonight. So, so I compromise. Compromise what I believe. I compromise myself. I compromise my inner spirit. Compromise all of who I am for this thing called a relationship. And then it tears us apart. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 22, uh, Paul writes these words to us. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. And really, that's what he's talking about. He's using an analogy of like, a, a, like yourself as if it was a coat. 
He says, you, you want to put off your old, what's your old self? The way you've always done it, right? The way you've always done it. And he says that because it's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You're going to stop right there. He says, I, I want you to begin to think about what it takes to, to put off this self of yours. Because that self has got deceitful desires. Deceitful desires are the unhealed, unwhole portions of who we are. That's what they are. And he says they're deceitful because they sneak up behind us and before we know it, we don't know what happened. Before we know it, you know, we're out on a date. Before we know it, you know, we've gone to bed. Why? Because there's something inside us that's driving us, but let me tell you, it's not wholeness. It's not from a sense of completeness. It's from a sense of brokenness. So he says, we have to figure out how it is. We're going to put off this brokenness. We're going to set it aside because its desires are deceitful. And then he goes on to say this in verse 23. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. All starts with what you think about. All starts in your mind. And then he goes on to say this. (coughs) Sorry, Sean. And to put on a new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It just means to live in a way that the creator created us to live. That's all that means. We were created to be like God. You, you, you little you right there. You were created to be like God. You were created to be in a relationship that reflects the image of God. You were created by God. And he says, you and I need to learn what it means to reflect the way the creator created us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul would say, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Um, Don't get too excited about that word, evil behavior. Uh, Evil behavior just means behavior that doesn't honor God. That's all. And and you get alienated from God. And, And the word there is, I'll do it my way, right? I'll do it my way. How's your way working for you? Don't answer. Okay, do it your way, okay? And, and then, you know, when we go into the book of Hebrews, which is the book of covenants, remember we talked about the blood covenants last week? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 6, he says, this is the covenant, God says, I will make with them. I will put their laws in my heart. That's just God's word. When use, the Bible uses the word laws, it means his word, not rules and regulations, his word. And, and I will write them on their minds. And that's exactly what we're doing today, right? By reading the word of God like this, by looking at it, you know, God is is writing it on your mind. Your mind is beginning to think, oh, maybe there's a different way to do this. Maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe the creator has intended me for something greater than what's going on right now. And if we go over to, um, um, let me me go over to two, 2 Corinthians, please, all the way down there, please. To 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. Um, this, these particular verses uh, set up the dynamic of you and I trying to live as, as created children of God in the world. And he says this, so though we live in the world, 
We don't wage war as, as the world does. So we don't, we don't fight the world on the world's terms because that'll never work. He goes on and he explains it further in verse four. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In other words, this is not you know, putting up vision boards and dream boards. All of those are fine. But when it talks about healing the inner spirit, there's nothing in the toolkit that comes out of the world that will help you heal the human spirit. But he says this, on the contrary, the tools we have are divine power to demolish strongholds. Let me, let me just stop right on the word a stronghold. Okay? I'll tell you what a stronghold is. A stronghold is something that is broken in you, that your life has revolved around and circled around for years and years and years and years and years. A lot of those strongholds come from uh, our family of origin, what we experienced in our families. Uh, a lot of them come from experiences that we had that are incredibly traumatic. Uh, a lot of them come from uh, disappointment and brokenness. And what they do is they, they set up inside our mind, and we don't even know it, but our whole world, the way we view the world, starts to focus through that stronghold. It focuses through that brokenness. And the brokenness uses words like lonely. The brokenness, you know, uses words like, I'm no good. Brokenness and strongholds use words like, I'll never find anybody to love. And you can just imagine the words that focus through your own mind. And and every action and behavior you have begins to get filtered through that stronghold. And that's why you keep messing up again and again and again and again. Because until that stronghold is broken and you see through clearer eyes, your life will always revolve around that stronghold. For some people, in fact, a great majority of you right in this room, because statistics tell me, it's it's from some form of abuse. My my statistics tell me that. For some of us, you know, it's, it comes from the way in which we were treated by our parental units. And if we haven't had that wholesome, whole, safe environment in which to grow up, if we haven't had those major traumatic moments of disappointment and brokenness, well, then we have the opportunity of growing up to be whole people. But the truth of the matter is most of us have had those. And until we actually deal with that moment, until you have the courage to say, okay, I may not even know what that moment is. I may have to ask God to show me that moment because I've, I've shoved it back in my subconscious mind somewhere. But I'll tell you something, whatever's in your subconscious mind, you still function from that place. So the apostle Paul, when he writes this, he said, verse five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So we're going we're to start tearing down this stronghold. We're going to start demolishing it. And we're going to start seeing with the eyes of God. And then he says, we take thought every captive to make it obedient to Christ. We captive right there. So the minute it pops up, you know, the minute I hear that old tape playing in my mind about what I am or what I'm not, the minute I hear that lonely tape and I'm going to start compromising, we take that and we bring it and we grab it and we say, here God, take this. That's what he's really meaning by that. The reality of this is um, you really need to ask God to forgive you for your sexual past. That's where it starts. 
regardless of, of what your reasons are for being the way you were. I told you the story the other week of Eileen and I doing that together. I don't suggest you do it with your spouse necessarily. My spouse is a safe place for me. We were at a place in our relationship we could do that. Um, but, but you really need to ask God uh, to forgive. And then the second thing you need to do is you need to ask God to be to those people, that person or those people, what you should have been. So for me, there's a a number of women that I need to ask God when I have done, Lord, I was supposed to love them and protect them, not use them. I was supposed to be your divine protection in their life. So would you come, Lord, and be that protection for them? Would you come and do that, Lord? You know, and, and, and I think, you know, for women, it's, it's the same thing. It's, 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 it's a prayer that, that what should have you been to the man? Lord, I should have been there to help him. I should have been there to stand beside him. I should have been that emotional support, <clears throat> support for that person. Lord, I'm not. So you need to become, you come and be their lover. You come and be what it is uh, that they need. And you need to release those partners to God. Now, I know for some of you, uh, because of the emotion where you're at in, in a relationship that's broken up, that's really, really hard to do. But forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness does not give them permission to do anything. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is for you to be released. So into our world comes the tragedy of divorce. Let me share you a personal story. I seem to be doing that a lot, right, during this series. But um, I was very despondent uh, over my early life and quite despondent over the fact that I, I came into the ministry later in life than was needed simply because I was stupid and willful. And so it took God a long time, almost 10 years, to get a hold of my life. And a lot of that 10 years was full of chaos and upheaval and brokenness. A lot of those 10 years was a lot of fun too. But there was a lot of brokenness. I was on my my treadmill, one of the few times I've ever been on a treadmill. (laughs) I know exactly where I was. I was in the basement of our house on Lakewood Drive, one of the bedrooms, and had a treadmill there. And uh, I, I really was sorrowful. Let me explain to you how God moves in your heart. God, God doesn't move in guilt. Okay, don't be guilty. It's not about guilt. It's all about godly sorrow. If there's a sorrow in your heart because of what you've done and who you are, that's the motivator. Not because I'm standing up here pointing out a few things, oh, I feel so guilty. It's not about feeling guilty. God doesn't motivate anybody through guilt at all. That's a human construct. That's a Pharisee concept. That's a religion concept. The only way God motivates us is when we see ourselves for who we are and we see God for who he is, what happens in our life is a great sorrow because the gap is so wide. And in those moments of walking on that treadmill, God dropped into my mind a verse of scripture from the Old Testament. I have to remember, I grew up in the church. I've known my Bible since I was a teenager. And he dropped into my spirit the Old Testament prophet Joel chapter 2 and verse 25. And he said, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. 
He goes on and he talks about canker worms and caterpillars and bombers and all that kind of stuff, right? Because basically, you know, it's an agricultural economy. So he's saying, saying the years, the years that this locust has eaten away at you, okay? The years that you were out there in the wilderness, the years that you just allowed your spirit to be eaten away at piece by piece by piece by piece. He says to that, I will restore that to you. Oh my gosh. I just thought, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, because I'm overwhelmed by this. I mean, this is way too much. I look at who I am. I look at who you are. And the gap between those is too big. It's too much for me. It's creating despondency. It's creating depression. It's creating sorrow. And into my life, he says, I will restore that. God will give you that promise today. That promise that God gave to the nation in Joel is a promise for you and a promise for me. It is God's promise that he will restore, but he can only restore what you are willing to acknowledge. He can only restore it. It's all he can do. So today, uh, I'm going to do something a bit bit different. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me. And um, at the end of our service today, uh, I have some people that I've asked to be prepared to pray with those of you that would like prayer. And when we end our service, we're going to leave quietly and they're going to stay behind and, and you can stay behind. And, and just while we're, while we're having communion, you can decide if that's right for you today, if that's something that, that you need a point of contact. Some people need that, some people don't. Don't feel bad if that's not you. But if you just think, oh my gosh, I just need somebody to pray with me today. You don't have to tell the praying person what it's about unless you, you want to. But, but while we're sharing in communion together and, and doing some of our closing music, I want you to ask God to restore to you the years the locust have eaten. I want him to ask to make up for you. If you would have said to me in 1978, when I was fighting to stay sober, fighting to stay faithful to the woman I'd committed my life to, that I would stand today in front of you, I wouldn't have believed it. If you'd have said to me that, you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna be pastoring your father's church, I would have probably told you to go somewhere where the sun doesn't shine. You know, I had no interest, not at all. If you could have said to me, In 1978, when God was working on my life, hey, you're going to get to influence hundreds and hundreds of lives over your lifetime. I'm going to use you to be an agent of healing and grace and truth. I said, "Ah, not me. Don't limit what God can do for you, okay? Don't limit what he can restore, what he can heal, because he can do it. And he made that covenant. Remember, we're going to eat this little bit of bread here. And he took that bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is, this is what God did for you. He, he broke himself for you because he wants you to be whole, take and eat. And afterwards, he sealed a blood covenant. The blood covenant is all about making sure that if you desire to be well, that God will make sure you're well. That's his blood covenant. His blood covenant is a covenant of love. Let's take and drink.
Sean? Uh, sorry, thank you. There's a little orange container. Hey, I, I found a song this week. You don't know it, so don't feel bad. If you could figure out how to sing it along with me, you're welcome. But um, I, I, uh, do you have any idea where you'd be if God didn't intervene in your life? I'd be a, probably a washed up, drunk, lonely musician. Hoping to make another score tonight. It's probably where I'd be. Might even be dead. The nights I drove up the New York State Thruway, seeing double of everything, and God managed to get me home. I'm not advising you do that and trust God. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I came across this song, and it goes like this. Where would I be? God only knows I know you see
Father, where would any of us be today if it wasn't your unending love? Father, where would we be? You only know. Today, Father, we just ask so much for your healing spirit to fill this place. That you would restore and renew and refresh and give us hope, Lord. So, Father, as we end our service today, we thank you for Jesus for grace himself. We thank you for what you've done in our life today 
and what you're going to do now and what you're going to do tomorrow and the day after and that you're going to restore unto us the years, the locusts, our stupidity of eating. You're going to give it back and more, Lord. I thank you in your name. I'm going to ask you to read the benediction with me and just before we do that, I've got some people that are willing to pray with you. I'm going to ask them, <laughs> excuse me, if they would come down the aisles right now. Just make their way down the aisle, the people that are praying. They'd be kind enough to do that. And maybe just spread out around so there's somebody at the, uh, at the end of each aisle. Just come on right down, please. And I'm going to have to get some of you to go over on the other side, okay? If you would that, please, for me. And, um, and when we're done today, I'm going to ask you if you'd be, just, just leave quietly. And uh, you guys, are, right there is great. Yeah. And uh, that's good right there. And just, just, just leave quietly. And I tell you what, if you came with somebody today, just, you can either bring them with you or you can just send them out for coffee, okay? And, and they'll wait. <clears throat> they'll wait for you, okay? So let's join some hands together. And, and, we, and we picked a new benediction for you today, new ending from the book of Jude because it just says what we're talking about. And let's just breathe into it as we say it and believe it with all our heart. Are you ready? Here's, here's our offering. It's an offering. And the hymn, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Ready? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence. Are you ready? Without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And everybody said it? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come on forward for prayer. God bless you. The Relationship Depot, building relationships that last a lifetime.